Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning, everybody. This is Rob Robinson. I'm from the ETI facility here in Red Springs, North Carolina. Uh, today's episode of Philosophy from the Frontline guest was Tom Coyle. Tom is an Army veteran, former Foreign Service officer, and now he currently runs his own small business named Adventures in Leadership. It was great to catch up with him, and he had a great conversation to hit some points about leadership, transition, and some of his current and future projects. I'm thankful very much for having another awesome leader step up to have a discussion with me, and thanks again to Tom, and thank you all for listening. I will see you on the high ground. I will post all of Tom's information in the podcast description so you have it available, and uh, hope you enjoy. Thanks. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. All right, so we're recording. Uh, it's Rob Robinson. I've got Tom Coyle on the line, and we are doing philosophy from the front line. So to get right into it, uh, just a quick introduction about yourself, Tom, if you don't mind. Well, absolutely, Rob. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, graduate. We were in the same company at West Point. Graduated in 1997. Uh, spent some time in field artillery. Went went to Fort Campbell. Uh, then finished out at Third ID. Uh, did some cool stuff along the way during that time. Uh, I was the guy who always just missed or the deployment or just after deployment type of thing. Actually, uh, I was made Battery XO. Um, and so the battery went to a new battery and then the battery I left went to Kosovo. I gave up command of a, of two fad in 2001. And then the unit went to Afghanistan, uh, she left in nine 11 around November, December. So it's like, I'm the guy, then I show up at third ID and I'm now I get assigned rear detachment command because they want to keep everybody else frozen in place. So I was the guy who never went anywhere in the army. Uh, but I left in the army in 2004, went to, uh, joined the state department foreign service, did that for a bit. And now I got my own company, Adventures in Leadership. Oh, wow. Yeah, so moving into question two, which is when did you transition out of the military and why? Uh, it was 2004. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of going back and forth. And so um, 
So then I had this idea of going special forces. I actually went, I made it through special forces assessment and selection course. And then, um, but I did not make it to the Q course. So after the Q course, I kind of did this, you know, what's next? What do I really want to do? Um, and I enjoyed the army, but you know, there were some things that just drove me a little nuts about it. Like, and that's any organization, frankly. Um, and then I just, and I talked to a guy who actually was, um, at the state department. I'm like, Hey, that's actually kind of cool. And maybe, maybe this, and I loved foreign affairs and international relations, that type of thing. So I thought, maybe this is a better skill set for me. Cause like, the thing is the army was, you know, it didn't look like I'd be able to go a FAO track because with artillery, they're, they're, they're not letting the officers go over to that FAO track just because of the state of the branch at that point. And then it's like, well, I could wait and maybe do something and a few years later and eventually get to that spot or I can kind of do what I want to do right now. And uh, that's what sort of what I made my jump there to um, leave and do that. And no, it, it, it was, that was a good challenge, but like anything else. And it was nice. I actually went to Afghanistan, um, as, as a diplomat, which was an interesting, oh, wow. interesting cool. perspective. Um, and it was cool. And, and I really had value added. I was performing a lot of responsibilities above my, my pay grade, so to speak, because I really understood both worlds. I came from the military and I, of course, then being in the state department. So spent a lot of time with provincial reconstruction team sites and doing those types of things and being able to really speak the language of the two bureaucracies and, they yeah, has really tapped me for a lot of things just because I could fill a role and, and everyone not understanding each other's role period. Sometimes you get that with all these different organizations on the ground and I uh, really enjoyed that for a time. And so. No, that's good. Uh, and I know that, uh, yeah, I've had some experience with state department. One of my last deployments when I was, uh, in Iraq, I ended up having to go to the embassy, uh, daily for, mm-hmm. uh, uh, just an operational update brief and, and being able to have that cross-cultural discussion is very, very important, you know, and it's it's interesting. That's part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast is to make people realize that, like, you can read all these articles that'll tell you, hey, you're not ready to translate on the outside or there's something not for you in the civilian sector. And it's kind of really going back to hunting those opportunities that kind of fit your personality. And and the biggest the biggest takeaway that I've learned so far in the five discussions that I've had with people that have come on is just understanding that like your transition is super, super personal and what you end up doing is mm-hmm. super, super personal because it, you have to have the right fit. And one of the things that we, we talked about with quite a few folks is just like the interview process. You know, you're actually giving that company the opportunity to get to know you, but you're also trying to get to know them and see where you fit. And it's just interesting, you know, hearing that you transitioned from the military, went to Department of State and now you're, you're doing your own thing, which is uh, which is huge. And, you know, being your own boss has some some advantages and there's some disadvantages as well, you know, but it, it, at the end of the day, it's something that you chose to do. And, and I want to highlight, you know, the, the transition points are important, but it's what you do after that and kind of acknowledging, uh, you know, your efforts both in and outside of the military. So that rolls right into question three. And that is what are you doing now? So, uh, and, and sort of follow up with just say then, but when, and I'll get to that question, but sort of follow up with the comments you just made here. Uh, every single transition, you know, I, I didn't rush it. The thing is, I, I see people, like I was in the army, they would leave. But what's your plan? Well, I don't know. I'm just leaving the army. So, I mean, you know, take the time. And I did this even at, you know, but I, when I started Adventures in Leadership, this was kind of like something I was doing on the side to basically figure out, you know, could I validate the business plan, do it outside, take leave here and there and do some of these uh leadership things and thinking, yeah, not only do I like it, this is viable. This is a business, that type of thing. And so when you're looking at what you want to do, whether it's working for a company organization, um, take the time to do the homework and plan early. Um, 
that that's the thing. And so, yeah, right now I am doing my own business. And even then I've transitioned this. So um, the core business adventures and leadership was experiential learning. I started off targeting um, high school students and, and this would start it off as a give back thing while working at state where I'd take two weeks off in the summer and run two one week camps for kids. And we do basically Camp Buckner type stuff. I mean, we, we toned down the military aspect of it, but the thing like leaders reaction course type things, orienteering, land nav, they navigate to a point, to get to a point, here's your problem you have to solve on to the next point and really get them solving the problems themselves. And then I then I started getting corporate gigs. So, hey, this is kind of cool. Can you come to my company and do this type of thing? And so it was all experiential learning. And one of the things at the end of the week, I'd take people to Gettysburg um, and do this whole like a staff ride. I later wrote a book, Leadership Lessons from the Battle of Gettysburg. And that's led to me more, doing more of these staff ride things. Right now, in today's COVID environment, I'm, I'm I'm losing that business. And so I've had to adapt yet again, like a lot of businesses have, doing more online stuff. And something I kind of got into, I've always been really comfortable interacting with tech people. And, you know, I did, did a little bit to the state where I was helping them. Like, I kind of was like, hey, how come we don't have this? And I kept complaining about things I don't have that I do have on the outside. And they said, hey, you look like you understand this AI stuff. Maybe you could help us implement some systems. And I've applied that to adventure and leadership where I've been helping decision makers implement AI. A lot of people right now going, hey, I know I need autonomous systems, but I don't even know where to start. And so I've been kind of working with companies doing that. I uh, work with another West Point grad. Um, I have a non-disclosure, so I can't talk about this, but we're helping up a company doing some AI processes with them that the, the CEO is like, look, I need some challenges here from um, understanding my customers to everything else like this. And, and we're just way behind. Yet we have the resources to do this. Yeah, well, that sounds good. Discussion for another time, because that's basically what I'm doing down here at ETI is trying to integrate technology that's emerging into mm -hmm. the, you know, into the military, you know, DOD apparatus, law enforcement locally, and then focusing in on STEM education and academic partnerships. So that's right. We'll, into definitely, what have our, that. we'll yeah. definitely have another conversation on that. Yeah, there, there's definitely something in the wheelhouse about that. But again, it's one of those things that like most people realize that it's out there, but they don't know how to capitalize on it. And that's one of the things that, that we are very fortunate enough, particularly in where we are today, is the the you know, it's hard to say this and and you know, because of the tragedy that's been associated with COVID, but business has been good for us as far as outreach and relationship building. Yep. You know, it, it's unfortunate that, you know, it took this situation to get to that. But, you know, a lot of the things that I've been able to do, particularly just getting the podcast rolling has been because people are isolated and we can't go anywhere. So it's now time to like have those conversations with folks that are interested in, in some of the things that we're doing, but also provides some feedback to the community. So, you know, once the doors are open and everybody starts rolling back into work, I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of positive momentum for a lot of businesses uh, as a result of the relationships that have built since we've all been on lockdown. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think this is, you know, look, you know, so you're going to have something that hits you like a left hook out of nowhere and you can't do anything about it. And you can sit and feel sorry for yourself or, you know, take some action on this thing. And, you know, I mean, you know, for me taking companies, you know, typically this is the season where one company per week, I'm taking the Gettysburg and that's a nice little chunk of income that I'm just not getting right now. And I can feel sorry for myself or do something different. And what's interesting right now, you mentioned the discipline, people are looking for things to do. Um, you don't know what you want to do yet. I mean, like 365 Data Science was offering free data science courses to people for this, this pandemic thing. So learning some Python, learning some, you know, 
uh, deep learning, all those types of things. Think of anything you want to do. I have a friend of mine writing a screenplay right now. I always wanted to do one, just finish it up there. And I was going to try and shop it around. If he gets nowhere, he finally wrote the screenplay he wanted to write. Another one, a friend of my, another friend of mine, he's a non-West Pointer, but a military veteran. He, he wrote his novel, got it all complete. Always wanted to write a novel. So he used his time to do that. Well, I'm not working. I'm also do the thing I've never had time to do. Yeah, very true. And I, and I enjoy it. Like I said, I've been incredibly blessed to be able to work and then still be able to do outreach. And part of the outreach is, you know, the podcast as well, you know, Absolutely. getting, getting veterans to have those conversations and it's incredible. And one of the things that I will highlight as well, and uh, before we get into the, the fourth question is your network, right? And, and I talked about the utilization of social media and LinkedIn and all those other things to kind of leverage those tools to create opportunities for yourself. And I can tell you that, you know, in a given week, I connect with five to 10 people that are relationships or relationships or second or third order folks on LinkedIn, but they always have something valuable. So your network is important. And the other piece of it is, is you kind of get to see what people are doing if they're active on uh, the business side on LinkedIn, you know, social media is what it is. We see the best of people in those, but from a business perspective, being able to highlight what you're doing and it may garner interest like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Let me reach out to that person. Or do I know somebody that's in that person's network that can kind of help me build a relationship with them? And uh, it's huge. Absolutely. And so to chime in on that point there, I mean, one of the things that I thought was very valuable to me. So I actually got um, I, one of my big executive coaching contracts, a Fortune 500 firm, came about because I, I posted a video on LinkedIn about why your training program sucks. And someone in the company saw that video and said, holy crap, you know, this is exactly what we need. And the whole premise behind it is training in most employees' minds and certainly in the military is somebody screwed up, therefore having training. Someone touched somebody inappropriately, so we're going to have training now. Oh, we're having leadership training. Hmm. Who created the hostile work environment that we're now going to have training on? So it's the mass punishment thing. So even when it's something good, it doesn't resonate. So we went this whole thing. And so we set that program, got rave reviews, but it was just putting stuff out there. And I write on Medium. I, in fact, the gig I got right now with this AI thing was because of my latest article on Medium. And so I go, hey, wow, yeah, I need someone like you. And I just connected with the person on LinkedIn said, I need someone like you who understands this stuff to help us with this thing. Yeah. And, and, and I can tell you that the AI problem set is huge and then everybody is doing it. It's just a matter of, of perfecting that technology to make it useful to the mm -hmm. average person. It's kind of like a cell phone. Right. Like tw 20 years ago, you know, we had the big bag phones and nobody knew how to use them. And now everybody has a library of Congress in their pocket. Now, whether they choose to use it is a different story, but it's available. Well, and the other thing about that with that is one of the things we, I've been looking at is in taking my cross-cultural communication stuff and all the things that, that came from the State Department as well as saying that in combining the military is how do you filter through those? You're going to get all this stuff and a lot of people I see on the comments on social media, I don't even know if something's true. Like, how do I even evaluate that? And you have all this information, but it's like how to filter it out. And it's a challenge. Certainly in the battlefield, we, that's something veterans can really help with because that's what, that's our daily life. You get all this information feed coming in. You've got to process more information that you can actually humanly process and make decisions on this. And, um, you know, I think really tied back. One thing I want to sort of point I want to bring up there is, is, uh, veterans, a lot of times they look at it. I, I mean, they try to do too much of a linear relationship between what their, their job set is and what I'm able to do. Well, I'm just infantry. Therefore I can only do these things or I was this, or I did this. Um, I helped a guy get a job at honest tea. Um, they were acquired by Coca-Cola a while back, but, uh, they might, might, maybe people have seen them around their uh, company, but guy, I lent him my, 
book. Hey, you're going to love this book. Knew he wanted to do something different. And he read the book that these guys did. It was in comic book form. So basically the whole, their whole business thing, that their whole story is in a comic, a big graphic novel type of format. And he loved it. Wrote to these guys and said, look, I'm not sure if I have any skills to help your company, but I really believe in your mission, what you're trying to do and all this kind of thing. And I, I, wanna, I, I know I need to be part of this somehow. And he actually got a job there, um, got a good salary and been moving up to the company. Wow. That's, that's amazing. All right. So moving on to question number four, and this is one that always kind of is, is not really odd, but it's definitely something that we have to talk about. And this is part of the, the, the real meat of the podcast is, you know, what was the hardest part about transitioning out of the military? And you have a unique story because you went from one department to another, but I mean, I'm sure that there was still some, some learning curve that kind of happened as you were switching over to DOS and then eventually getting to where you are today. Oh, absolutely. So the big learning curve is in the military, for the most part, if I talk to a fellow officer and they said, yeah, I can do this for you, they're going to come through, you know, or, or, or they'll be coming up. If something happened, they're going to come up and say, hey, sorry, man, you know, this happened and here, here's what happened. And the frustration when I first went to DOS was that, you know, you could talk to somebody, yeah, yeah, I gotcha, but they really had no intention of ever doing it. But they say all the right things just to make you feel good in the conversation and they don't do it. Um, there's also the thing of, um, you know, we're not calling, you know, we weren't rank, rank on our collars. There is no sir and that type of thing. I mean, obviously the ambassador or the, it was either sir or ma'am, but, you know, it's a very informalized network in a lot of ways. And it, it just kind of gets the idea where like, you know, the boss says, here's what I want. So I'm not doing that. What, what, what do you mean you're not doing that? That's, we were just meeting. That's what he wants. That's what we're doing. And I, I had these conversations, like, you know, we'd get these meetings and ambassador Newman's like, you know, I want us to go out there. We need to be gate. We need to be linked up with the military at, at these re- reconstruction sites. It's like, well, I don't want to work the military. But it doesn't matter. That's what these, that's what the, that's what the man said. Yeah. Agree or disagree, that's what we have got to do. And so there, there, that was a hard thing for me to get used to. It, that, that I had to do more follow-up with people to make sure that weren't just like telling me what I wanted to hear and then just blowing me off. Um, so that was the biggest thing for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things. So like one of the well, my first guest that I had on, she is a, a grad from 07. And again, I'm going to harp on this point until I get another uh, another really good one. But uh, she was she had come up with a pretty creative idea and, and floated around her team. And then one of the members of her team took it and presented it to the CEO and didn't even give like any acknowledgement of her efforts on the project, you know, and, and I, I think one of the things that we learn in the military, and it's funny that you mentioned an NDA with a, with another company, but one of the things that we learn is like OPSEC is everything. So mm-hmm. we only talk about what's important with who needs to know, and it's kind of baked in and inherent in what we do. But, you know, as you're transitioning out, like I've signed more NDAs in this company than, you know, I've signed non-disclosures for the military because it's like two or three. And that's basically tied to when you upgrade your clearance. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's because inherently everything that we do, we have to maintain a level of security on. And it's just it's just a different part of the transition. So it's one of those things that like, yeah, your intellectual ideas when you're in the army you know, who cares if your subordinate takes it and runs with it as long as it gets in front of the boss and their success. But when there's a dollar sign attached to it or a promotion, then it makes it a little bit more uncomfortable. And you're like, man, like, I think I could have done that better. I wish I could have. But uh, definitely one of those things that that like I've always taken a note and like I've found a lot of uh, interesting people that have said, you know, hey, this is this is kind of how it went down or, or, or you know, something that was kind of crazy that just kind of popped up along the way. And then uh, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, and, and just to clarify, at DOS, like most people weren't like this, but there was a a, a, a pretty there's a, a sizable chunk of the population that was more so than I would have found in the military. So I mean, yeah, so I guess kind of make it look. I'm not trashing my <laughs> the DOS too much. That, no, I mean for the most part, people were the right kind of people, especially in a place like Afghanistan. Those people who volunteer for that type of thing, but you did have that. And there's more of this, and I see it in corporate America too. Some of the consulting, the boss says something. I was like, oh, that's not, we'll just blow that off type of thing. Or we'll slow roll that. Um, and, you know, I've, I've heard people tell me that does exist somewhat in the military to a degree. And, and yeah, I kind of saw it, but usually it gets solved pretty quickly. Cause once the old man finds out what's going on and the, the problem is solved. Yeah. So somebody's going to get smacked around and then there's going to be a result from that. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's the most interesting part of the, the biggest change between, you know, military culture and corporate culture is that, you know, you can read all the leadership books that you want and what points out the most interesting pieces, people, right? People yep. are the most dynamic aspect of leadership, regardless of how good you are or how poor you are as a leader, understanding, you know, the leadership overall is really, you know, how do I get people to, to interact and knowing those personalities. So kind of like mapping out mm-hmm. the, the, the people scape or the human terrain, as we would say in the military is understanding that like Rob's the kind of guy that I got to follow up on, or Tom's the kind of guy that's fire and forget and I can launch him on a mission and he can accomplish it. The, the other things too, we look at is, is important is, you know, when you're, when you're getting interviewed, you're also interviewing them. I mean, don't be afraid to like walk away from the interview saying, this is not the right culture fit. I don't want to be part of this. This is, there's, I'm getting a bad vibe of something here. You know, those, those are all fair discussions. Sometimes you're transitioning. You, you want to get that job. You're trying to get that job. You think, oh my God, this is great. Don't make the square peg fit in the round hole. Make sure you're being honest with yourself. If there's something that's just like, you know, I just don't think I'd be happy here for whatever that is. I don't like the people. And the thing that goes back to thing that when the point you started touching on is like in DOS, so as I started moving around, one thing I wanted to do is I, I started to look at the boss. Is this the kind of boss, the person I'm working for that would have my back? Like in other words, if, if, if they said they gave me something, I did it. And if someone goes, well, I'm going to blow off Tom, like, is he going to take, have my side? If someone's like, well, I don't want to do that. Like, if those things in there. And and that was important. Not everybody was like that, but I found the people that were like that made sure I was working for them because they're the ones who are going to sit there and say, yes, you will do. Um, no, don't do that. Or if I say, if I come back to them and say, look, I've been doing everything I can, especially I'm doing with a peer who's of the same position who I can't really, you know, right. I can't throw UCMJ at him. And it's just like, we're just going back and forth. We have different viewpoints. It's like, yep. Nope. No problem. I'll take care of that. Yeah. And that's, and that's great. Great part of the discussion too. So, uh, after transitioning from DOS, and this kind of goes into question number five, what was the hardest part of you, like starting your own business and getting into, you know, lessons in leadership? Well, and the first one we go to anyone starting any kind of business is, am I going to fail or succeed? You know, how is this going to go? Can I keep up the momentum? You get those first clients, and how can I keep this going? Um, that that first and foremost was the biggest thing: the fear of failure, and you know what happens, like you know. Um, you know, there is no guaranteed income. I'm not getting, a, there's no guaranteed salary there. What, what do you, what do you do in that case? And so those are those things you, that kind of keep you up at night. Um, and what kind of got me through that? And this is kind of something I started doing. Uh, I read Tim uh, Ferriss four hour work week. And I don't want talk about your fears. When fears are just in your mind, it, it, they can cause you to just shut down or panic or not do that kind of thing. But when you sit there and he's like, okay, let me lay out all the things that could possibly happen. What would happen here? And you write it out. Then you then take the paper down one side, of eight by eleven sheet of paper. On one half, put the problem. The other half of what would happen? What would I do in that situation? 
Oh yeah, you know, I have this. Well, hey, you know what? If, if this happened and I couldn't pay the mortgage, well, hey, I got this much money in my TSP. So I could, you know, I could use that money if I had to, or I couldn't have this. Here's what I could do about this. If I had to take someone to the hospital and you start going through that process, then when you're looking at it, you're like, hey, these aren't, these aren't big at all. I can solve these, or at least I have a plan to solve them if something happens. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I think that that's one of the things, is, is, you know, some of us are fortunate enough like me to, to land the, the, I won't say it's a dream job, but it's, it's a great job. You know, it's, right, it's yeah. exciting, you know, and I, and I walked out of the military, was able to sign up and, and, and do this. And for a lot of people, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's finding that happy medium between what is the dream job and what is good enough. And, you know, and we've, we've lived with what is good enough in the army. Like, Hey, is this order good enough for me to go out on patrol? Yeah. Let's roll versus, you know, I'm going to meticulously analyze this down to the, you know, to the very, you know, the very granular material of it. And then I'm going to miss an opportunity because I'm doing too much research. So again, it's that striking that happy balance between the two things. Uh, it, and, and just to just chime in right quick, one thing is about right now we live in a great age because people want to help military veterans. Companies are willing to have conversations with military veterans. I do my own stock trading and make a, some income doing that as well. And I, and I mentioned this because one thing I did is I found out Guy Adami. He's, um, he's every night you'll see him on CNBC's Fast Money. Uh, very well-respected trader. I found out he was in D.C. Figured out what hotel he was in because he posted something about Twitter. He was speaking at something or other. So I sat there in the lobby waiting for him all, on a Saturday, brought a bunch of books, and I saw him in there. Hey, Mr. Dami, hey, Tom, I'm a military veteran. You know, I'm really interested in this vetting. Oh, military veteran. Thank you for service. Hey, uh, yeah, how can I help you? Hey, listen, I, I, I would just like wow. to pick your brain So for, for trading. And, and so we, we went over, had dinner together, and he's sitting there like breaking down everything he does about like this This is what I do. This is what I'm looking at. Here's this thing. And, you know, like, sir, do you mind if I hit, you know, could I get your email and just, you know, in case I have a question? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Here you go. And so now I get someone you know, use that veteran status to my advantage where someone was willing to talk to me and build a relationship where he's one of the best traders on the planet to sit there and pick his brain and, and see what he's doing. It's like, okay, if nothing else, I'm just gonna do what guy does. I mean, if I, if, you know, <laughs> learn from that and, and start in kind of like this, how this podcast started, just reaching out to people, find someone that's doing what you want to do or that you might want to do and start striking up a conversation. Yeah. I, and, and that's really what I want to do is, is I want to pick people's brains because I know I'm I, I'm by no means an expert. You know, I have I have 20 years of being a grunt. So that's always usually the more aggressive leadership style is equal to success. And sometimes there's a softer approach. I've had to learn that, you know, as I transitioned or even as I became an electronic warfare officer, because, you know, the normal, hey, I'm going to you know use your head as a bowling ball kind of technique does not normally work. You know, when you're amongst division staff and there's a lot more of your peers, you know, that you're you're interacting with. So it's a definite uh, way that you would have to change overall as your transition from the military. But that said, there is an appropriate time and place to have that tool in your back pocket. You know, oh, absolutely. I mean, one thing I used to have in my leadership is I when I was, so I got to command two fat at the 101st. Basically, each battalion nominated a senior first lieutenant and then the Devardi commander picked that person to lead. It was the best job I had in the army because I worked directly for an 06 who had better things to do to keep track of what I was doing every day, which means I was always with my men in training, didn't spend a lot of time in meetings. I had two meetings a month. That was it. And we really had, it was, it was like, wow, this, this is awesome. And um, getting that taste, that independence and being able to do things we wanted to do. But the th I had two uh, section chiefs that were, you know, very different. One, if they, let's say they both messed up, I'd go to one guy and say, Hey man, you kind of let me down. We'll disappoint. And that's like daggers going through his heart. He's going to fix it. Okay. Now send in so-and-so He comes in. And if I wasn't dropping F bombs and 
threatened to smash his head against the wall. He didn't realize I was upset or that he did something wrong. And I would never talk to him at the same time because I, I, if I did one way, the other person they'd shut down and vice versa. It would, it would work. And so you had to kind of yeah. adjust your style. Yeah. And I think that's an important attribute to have is being able to kind of use the rheostat of personalities on people when you have to, to deal with it. And, it. and it sucks because it feels like you're playing a game sometimes. But the reality of it is, is it's just knowing the folks that work for you, you know, and I think that's an important part of, of developing as a as a leader, whether it be in the military or in business is, you know, oh, yeah, this guy's going to react poorly if I go in there and I smash him, you know, and there's and again, there's an appropriate time and place. But there's also the time and place just to be like, hey, man, like, you know what the right answer is, like, let's mm-hmm. get it done, you know, and and huge. Well, and how you communicate, it's interesting. One of my lessons, of, one of my favorite lessons of Gettysburg was uh, General Ewell, when Lee had a very genteel way of speaking, he's used to Stonewall Jackson who understood that. And he tells General Ewell, because Stonewall Jackson is dead, hey, take that hill if practicable. So a fancy way of saying practical. And Ewell's like, well, I think I have a choice. He looked at the situation. Hey, it's not practical. Let's do it in the morning. Lee's furious because what he really meant was take it at all costs. That's not what he said. And you, you, it's since you're at always you know, going back to your point about sometimes it feels like a game. But the thing is, you're ultimately responsible for the success or failure of the unit. It behooves you to kind of making sure you're on a level where one ticks. One of my favorite lessons from Detroit sports debates, a book I got for my birthday uh, when I was in Afghanistan. It was a sports writer saying John Daly coached the Pistons, or Chuck Daly rather coached the Pistons. He, whenever he wanted to yell at Isaiah, whenever he was mad at Isaiah Thomas, he yelled at John Sally because he knew Isaiah Thomas could not take being yelled at. It would just mess him up. But John, he'd yell at John Sally that John Sally would translate it to the language that Isaiah Thomas needed to hear to do what needed to be done. Yeah, and and, and that's a fair point. I think that's one of the things that uh, in the in the consciousness of America, you know, the the. Ability to, to coach is huge. And that's one of the things that we all, you know, everybody all has, everybody has had a coach or someone that they worked with that they kind of enamored, you know, and so yep. having that, having that relationship with them, you know, hey, you let me down or, you know, knowing that that person's going to fire you up because you made a mistake. Those are the types of things that are very, very important to leadership. And so this will also help me kind of transition into like this is the hidden gem question. I keep these kind of in reserve. So I had the five overall questions. And then based off of the direction of the conversation, I will ask you one of these. And uh, this is one of the ones that uh, always hits pretty well. Uh, If you had to pick two leaders in your career, one good and one bad, what are the most valuable lessons that they taught you? You don't have to name names, but uh, if you do, you can. It's all right. We have anonymity, at least from <laughs> uh, at least time and distance, right? And so it'll take a while for them to run you down. Uh, I would say um, the the senior leadership in Afghanistan at the embassy, you know, established by Ambassador Newman. I will drop his name. I mean, he was doing everything. I mean, it basically, you know, if 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 he's coming off a flight and you know, like basically, you know, someone didn't know who the ambassador was because basically he saw someone struggling trying to move some kind of thing, and he goes, "Here, let me help you with that." And he's helping the guy, you know, move some pallets or whatever. And, didn't even know what the pallets were and didn't even ask. He's like, hey, here's, a, here's an American who, need, who needed some, who was struggling a bit with something and just did it, you know, and um, didn't have this sense of I'm the most important person in the country. Um, and, and I think that was just a great example for all of us. I said, hey, we're all here to do a job. And the idea that he enforced on us is that you are not too good for any job that needs to be done. You, we have a job to do here. I don't care what your rank is. I don't care what your FS rank is. I don't care what your GS rank. I don't care whatever you you work in this embassy. We have a job to do. And, you know, we're all going to have to be we're all going to be rising above levels of responsibility. And sometimes you're going to be the guy who has to do some really mundane stuff that somewhere else would be some kind of blue collar employee, but guess what? It's you. Cause 
it needs to be done. Wow. That's pretty powerful. Um, as far as the bad example, uh, I had a boss who basically what he would do, this is like, you know, we had, you know, there was, there was three of us he was, that he was in charge of, and he'd sit there and say, okay, um, Tom, you're doing a fantastic job, but let me tell you how the other guys are all screwed up. This is all their problems, though, that kind of thing. I'm like, gee, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be talking about this. No, you know, I'm just, just, you know, I'm just don't say anything about this. And what I didn't know is he was having the same conversation with all three of us times and it was then we took us a while to figure it out so we joke make a joke of like hey so what are the what are the things i need to approve upon because like you know i'm a rock star when i'm in there with him but then there's all these little things he would never tell me and vice versa everybody else and it was just a, a terrible environment um and it was funny because like the seniors never picked up on it. it just the other thing about that environment it just shows you that leaders cannot have the blinders on you have to really look at the clues and dig deeper into things and where the faulty of leadership were people above him there was a guy that worked above him who i was close to and he didn't pick up on the fact so like what happened was this guy i worked for the toxic guy every thursday he'd have these happy hours he'd bring in some alcohol to the office and he had it all sanctioned we could have drinks and that kind of thing but no one who worked for him at any level showed up and all these seniors would show up because he'd invite them. And finally, I was having, a, having I was sitting there going to the guy, um, John Smith, we'll call him, who was the guy I was close to who was above him. He's like, you know, how come you guys never went to those things? I said, how come? And he eventually canceled these happy hours. I said, how come you guys didn't pick up on the fact nobody that worked for him ever showed up for sanctioned time on the on the company dime, if you will, the government dime, to have beer and, and chill? And we were just like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to stay at my desk and work. I mean, that didn't clue you into like, Hey, something's wrong here. And so it just, as you rise up in rank and responsibility and that kind of thing, it's harder because you're going to have gatekeepers. I saw it in the army, just as even at battery level, people would try to keep things from me, like type of things and keep me in, out of the loop for, in some ways it was good intention. They didn't want to, they thought my time was valuable. They didn't want to bother with the problems. And you see, and you see like Boeing, that's exactly what happened at Boeing. No one wanted to tell the boss what was going on with the airliner. And then suddenly you have some deadly consequences. And that environment, which was allowed to flourish because, you know, A, he did it that way. And the, the clues from the senior leadership are failing there to actually kind of like, hey, let's dig a little deeper. Something's not really going on here. People don't want to be around this guy. Um, and we use this thing of mission. They're accomplishing the mission. Well, if you're making everybody leave, are you really accomplishing the mission? Yeah, that's true. And, and that's one of the things that people, you know, there's a heartfelt discussion that everybody has to have, you know, as a leader. It's like, Am I going to be liked or am I going to be respected? Right. And that is two different things. Some people can't, you know, equate the two and keep them separated. But like you can be well respected and not well liked. It just depends on the organization. Mm -hmm. Or you can be well liked and not respected. Like, uh, yeah, I really like the guy, but, you know, he's not really good at X, Y or Z. And that's one of the things that like part of this whole discussion and everything that I'm trying to do is just capture you know, those little nuggets of wisdom that come out from each one of these discussions that can be valuable to somebody who's transitioning. And I've had some amazing people come on, you know, so far, and I'm only five episodes in, which is kind of cool. But the other part of it is, is like, I have people that are signing up that like, yeah, I want to do this. I want to have a conversation with you because I want to drop, you know, some of those nuggets that I learned today, you know, or a nugget that I learned two years ago. So it can help somebody else out during their transition. It's kind of, it's kind of like a, what I used to, to see a lot when I worked at Ranger School. So you would see the instructors that mm -hmm. would see a student that was struggling. But one of the things that they would do is like, hey, man, like I saw a leader not do this when I was in combat. 
and it got somebody killed or injured. So if that guy did what he was supposed to do, or at least that would have rectified that situation, that was real world that the instructor had seen, they give him the benefit of the doubt on the patrol, you know? And, and so mm-hmm. you see guys pass because they're like, Hey, like that guy was terrible. Like, well, sir, you know, like he wasn't the best, but he did X, Y, or Z. And when it becomes, you know, really uh, an issue with the real world and actual success or failure of an operational mission, then you give the guy a little bit more leeway. And that's one of the things that I absolutely uh, enjoy about being a leader is just observing those differences in people's personalities and letting them flourish. You know, two things that you can do as a boss, and I've always said this, and this is what I've always asked for, is, you know, give me a left and right limit and some top cover. Like if you give me those two things, I can thrive in that situation. And when I'm bumping up against, you know, my left or right limit, that's the opportunity for you to give me the azimuth check. But if you give me, you know, that top cover that I need, I can do a lot more for you just because I feel empowered. And I think empowering a subordinate is one of the things that we absolutely all have to learn, whether that be on the corporate side or on the the, the military side, but trusting the other people that you work with. And that's hard to do, particularly when, you know, you're a military person transitioning and you're being told like, oh, corporate life is cutthroat and everybody's out for the dollar and this, that, or the other thing. But the reality of it is, is if you're mission oriented, you know, you'll have fewer of those problems. And, and you know, I think a part of this comes through to a larger national discussion. I look at like, you know, kind of understanding cultures and such. We don't understand a culture, you know, like for instance, I'd, I'd be at DOS and hear them badmouth the military. Oh, these guys are a bunch of idiots who can't do anything without PowerPoint. Or the military said, you know, these guys can't do anything without, unless there's a cable. And all these kind of things back and forth. Like, have any of you actually talked to each other yet? Well, uh, no. And, and when you have that lack of, like, everyone's like, oh, corporate, it's all cutthroat. And I found that, you know, like people talk about the businessman, you know, the unethical businessman. Like, well, you know, if you are unethical, you aren't going to be in business very long. It, it, you know, you, you, you may pull off a scam or two here or there, but that, then you, you are just done because there's so much of business is on trust. And the whole, like, everyone's up, yeah, people are out for a dollar. But think about this. Um, there's less waste. I mean, think of some of the stupid bureaucratic stuff you'd sit through in the army. Well, because the dollar is an instant measure of success, you're not going to tolerate a lot of that stuff out there. Well, hold on a second. We're losing money here. The, the, the hurry up and wait thing you'd experience in the military, there's no way a, a civilian organization would ever allow that. Like, We're doing what? We're paying people to sit around here for six hours waiting for a flight? Are you yeah. kidding me? True statement. I mean, it, 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 yeah. And one of the things, but it does build a little resilience, you know, so like, like this whole COVID thing is basically like pre and post deployment, you know, you're sitting at NTC in the Dust Bowl waiting to go out for the FTX and then you come back and then you're waiting to load up all the trucks so you can ship them back to home station. So I know that a lot of the military folks have been a little bit more adjusted to, you know, sitting around and waiting for the word from the government to release everybody doesn't reduce the frustration at any point, but I still think it's a great opportunity to, uh, you know, to kind of understand, you know, that perspective. So for those of you at home that aren't in the military that are listening, like, Hey, welcome to our world, you know, like, Hey, hurry up and wait. Like you just said, uh, Tom, this has been great, man. I appreciate yeah, you coming on. Yeah. I enjoyed, I've enjoyed this conversation, but it's like, I haven't enjoyed it. I haven't not enjoyed any of them because I learned something new every day. And that's one of the things that I always try and do is learn something new. But, uh, one of the things that I would like to do before we close out so I can, you know, give you a chance to plug anything that you're working on currently and then uh, anything, any websites or anything else, you can shoot them to me in a note or whatever. But I'll definitely put them in the description for the podcast today. But here's your unexploited cheap plug 
for anything that you're doing right now. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. So um, right now, you, I got my book, Leadership Lessons in the Battle of Gettysburg. That's on Amazon, a, dig, a digital copy and a physical copy. Uh, I also have a course of the same title on Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y.com. I'll be posting up a crisis leadership um, course as well. Um, and right now, like for your AI needs, I'm kind of forming a new enterprise right now. And we're doing some, uh, basically, I got two different focus points. One, we're doing some stuff in the CBD space, um, helping um, with quality assurance and that type of thing. And actually working with Ali Palmer on that, uh, another one of our classmates, uh, that company, Pinnacle Elevation Group. And we're going to be doing a lot, of, a lot of cool things, helping farmers with using AI and stuff for anomaly detection and then helping labs to better do their processes. And then another thing I'm doing right now um, with some data scientists, I worked with the government. We're kind of doing some AI stuff in terms of uh, helping businesses as you know, ad hoc things, helping them do their AI infrastructure, building out things and this and that. So, uh, you know, a lot of different things going in there and then, uh, and uh, working on a project with Rich Fredericks as we're doing some stuff to help um, people uh, integrate technology into their work environments and space. So as you can see, I'm open to a lot of different things. I got a lot of irons in the fire and uh, always building relationships. And so if there's anyone that wants to contact me for any of these projects, or if you're just like, Hey, there's something else you want me to take a look at or help. I'm always happy to have a conversation to uh, help people diagnose problems and or if you know you want to know like how do, how do you write a book for example I, you know i'm happy to help people with that so uh always interested in the conversation all right awesome and again i, th I thank you i appreciate it i'm gonna i'm gonna set up a time for uh more uh business-like call after this absolutely so I'll, sh I'll shoot you a note but i'm definitely interested in some of those ai applications again like we i really appreciate you coming on this has been this has been great like i i've enjoyed doing this podcast. And I'm, like I said, I'm five episodes in, but I'm learning a tremendous amount. And the other part of it is it's, it's nice to see, you know, varying different flavors of people and their success, you know, and success is relative to, you know, whomever is, whomever's in the middle of the project, but uh, I'm glad to see that you're doing well. It's always cool to uh, reach out and talk to a classmate and uh, yeah. Go Friars. <laughs> yeah, go Friars. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Really appreciate this. I love what you're doing here. This is important. And, things, and getting all these different voices in there. And I'll say, I'll just sort of one thing I will say to people is your first thing you transition to after the military may not be where you end up for a long time. And don't be afraid. Like, you, you know, you, here's the thing. You're going to take something because you have the information at the time to make a decision. You think this is great. Then you're going to get there. Maybe you hate your boss. Or you hate this. Or this is not this. Or this is not what I envisioned. Don't be afraid to, you know what? Maybe I maybe I'm not where I need to be. Don't 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 suffer through this. This is not the military. You're stuck in your PCS and you got to wait two years to do that. You can just kind of say, you know, this, you can do a two weeks notice and say, you know what, this is just not a good fit for me. Yeah. Or or even, you know what, I think I'm good in the organization, but I don't think this job I'm doing right now is the best fit for me. Yeah, I know that that was one of the first lessons that I was told when I was on terminal leave. It's like you don't owe them anything, <laughs> you know, and unless you're assigned to a contract, you do have the autonomy to, to move on if you need to. And I, I think uh, one of the things that Eric said when we were talking is, you know, the 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 pressure of having employment as you're transitioning becomes your your primary method of, of picking your job, which it shouldn't be. And like you said, to be as best informed as you can when you, when you pull the trigger and that starts, you know, with all the education programs and resources that are available to you, you know, through the military. But the other part of it is your network is important. Reach out to Absolutely. guys and gals that are doing the things that like, Oh, that seems interesting. Like I want to try that, you know, and then reach out and be like, Hey Tom, I, I hear you're, 
you know, you're doing some leadership speaking. How do I how do I get to that point? Or is there something that I can, you know, assist you with so I can learn how to do this better? And I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we have to do, particularly as uh, folks that have stayed in for, you know, 15 plus years in the military is being able to, to eat that small piece of humble pie and not be afraid to ask for assistance. Absolutely not. I mean, that's the thing. I, I'm always asking questions, always trying to learn something new and different. And it just keeps me fresh and keeps me growing. All right. Well, Tom, I'll let you go. Uh, it's been all great. right. It's been awesome. I, I appreciate it. Uh, look for this thing to go up probably today, okay. a little bit later in the afternoon. But uh, I appreciate your time. And once again, uh, this is Rob Robinson from the Philosophy from the Frontline podcast. All right. See you on the high ground. Take care, Rob. Thanks.